Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It is I, Grognar the Un, the Young Grognar, kicking it to you with the Beggars of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the elders, and the quest. Wait, what quest are we on again? Go ahead. Does anybody know? Anthony does. The value of life. Oh, the value of life. Well, guess what? Plot twist. That quest is over. You know what quest we're on now? The last rites. So. Hold on. How is rites spelled? You decide. (laughs) Ambiguities. Homophones. (laughs) All right. So anyway. hate the English language. (laughs) So anyway, we're swapping the uh, podcast over uh, to strictly Latin. Um, but now, uh, so in the last episode, our party dealt with some licking lycanthrop, like lycanthropes. Yeah. Licking dopes. I mean, we were licking dopes and lycanthropes, but <laughs> in the end, we brought home a pet tiger. Uh, we had a very interesting event where Klika was sort of named as the child of destiny many times by this strange tiger beast thing and seemed to... Klika doesn't know that person. Yeah, Klika doesn't know that person. Um, but apart from that, the party returns with information about the orcs that are going to be raiding on the coastline. They came back after sort of hopefully finding the root cause of all the attacks that have gone on in the woods with a strange beast. And where we last left the party was with two individuals walking out of the prayer chambers in the basement. Um, so with that, the high priest Thrail sort of leads uh our friend upstairs what was our friend's name again she didn't really matter that much right we had, to, we had to what was that balfazea aunt jemima aunt jemima no that, she's canceled dan that's that feels, really say, that feels not like correct at all so we, okay this is taking on some anyway so anathea uh but that that whole thingy there uh yeah i don't know does she really matter in the storyline i'm having some trouble here I'll tell you what, our party members, though, after returning from their wonderful hunt and protecting the uh, Thalvir Woods northern end in the south part of Glory Wake, uh, our heroes returned back and immediately attained a new level. Uh, so why don't we have everybody kind of do a quick run through of anything cool that they got at their first. Uh, how, Ryan, how did you describe level five? It was the first level of what now? I'm getting good at this. Ah, yeah. So why don't you tell us what, what I'm getting good at this sort of things did you get? Well, 
I know everybody got a plus one to their proficiency bonus, so all of us will be rolling a little bit higher on attack rolls and proficiency checks. Mm-hmm. And then as a caster, Klika got access to third level spells. Yeah, y'all got third level spells now. So And all of her cantrips are a little stronger. Well, not all of them, but the yeah. scaling ones. The wor- the worthwhile ones. Mage Hand now has an extra finger. <laughs> but it's not where you think it'd be. I was going to say, I'm not going to tell you what kind of <laughs> finger it is. Yeah. It's just another thumb. Now <laughs> it's Mage Hand and Foot. I can get a spectral foot. <laughs> spectral foot. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> but anywho, either that or move shoes very appropriately. Yes. One at a time. Uh, did you pick any cool new spells you want to tell us about, or are you going to let Storyline pull that out? Uh, I picked two new spells, and I will let you know that I picked one of them was Blink, and I traded out another one of my spells for another third-level spell that I will reveal at a later time. Schnifty nifty. All right, Anton, slap it to us. You get anything cool? Your cleric well, powers you melt zombies they... now? Yeah. Yeah, I can do some weird stuff. A lot of my stuff makes me feel like Jesus, but we'll see what happens. You're going to have to walk it out water. That's a very ambiguous statement. Jesus felt a lot of things before he died. I think you might want to tell us precisely which one you're feeling right now. She got carpentry proficiency. Well, I finally got fireball. I've always wanted to try that spell. Jesus, well known for casting fireballs. You will praise the Lord, or else. And hopefully, I'll be able to solve some other issues we're dealing with. We'll with see with Fireball, <laughs> not Just with Fireball, with other spells. Being like, listen, motherfuckers. Now, Roddy, I just do want to remind you that we are a almost entirely melee group, and Fireball, when it goes off, hits everything on the target. I so already warned her too. But yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> just want you to think long and hard about when you want to blast one of those off. When they're really far away. Yeah, I don't know that we're going to be able to get there. But anyway, okay. All right, what are you saying, Norhill? Got anything cool going on? Uh, well, as a fifth level fighter, Norhill gets extra attack. Ooh! That's the good so stuff. that's one more chance to miss every round. Oh, 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 hold on now, hold on now. Norhill's been crushing it with melee ever since you got a magic weapon. I think we can all agree you've been on the upswing of your melee skills. It has completely flipped. Okay. Yeah, I, you're probably right. Yeah, I never really appreciated what a plus one means in fifth edition until now. But even yeah. then, I, I like. I just feels like your rolls have all been a lot more. I don't know. I, th- I think Norhill went from accuracy. a. 25% success rate to a 50, so that's that's really stepping up. But now I you have that agree. proficiency plus one. <laughs> All right, and that brings us up to Jarzak. What you got? I, much like the other spellcasters, have third level spells, have better cantrips, which is, you know, really good for warlocks. And I can attack twice, just like Norhill. Oh, is that a Hexblade thing? That's a, a the Eldritch evocations. Oh, okay. Yeah, you actually have to take an evocation to get the extra In attack. Order. Yeah, or else you just I mean, don't ever get it. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, though, that pays off in huge amounts, though. That's dividends, baby. Yes. 
Yeah, it's Vampire's <laughs> dividends. So anyway, uh, apart from the dividends of the Dimsdale Dimodome. Uh, I knew you were going to do that. I, well, knew, I heard it. I felt it in my bones. Well, you said dividends. You knew where I was going to go with that alliteration. So anyway, uh, our heroes, um, at least, is everybody going to be at the church for this moment of unveiling? Or is anybody going to be like too cool for school and not go see the first true resurrection in this area in a long time? Now we're all here to view the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So with that, the entire party's there as um, the high priest Thrail comes upstairs and to everybody's happiness, uh, he comes waltzing up the stairs and he looks like his movements are labored, but he doesn't seem like he's like, you know, dying or anything like that. And behind him is Antonia, who happens to have quite a bit of brightness to her that you guys hadn't seen when you first met her down in Boltscrag Peak um, or as a corpse. Usually corpses aren't glowing too much, but she definitely looks like she's very much so haggard as well, but she's got a certain spark to her that wasn't there before. You know what I'm saying? Is it Antonia or Antisea? I don't know when we started saying Antithea. I have it written down as Antonia, and I started thinking to myself, like, did I say it wrong at one point? It's always been Antonia. But you said Antithea one time, and I just kind of rolled with it. So we'll just say that depending on which way you're facing, she's one of them. Well, it's usually because you just blast off a name, and I have to just fucking scramble to write it down, or I'll look dumb later. All right. Do you want me to give you guys cheat sheets? You want me to write something real quick? No, I'm not giving cheat sheets. What do you think this is? Her name could have been Debbie. That would I wouldn't have <laughs> fucked that one up. Uh, I wouldn't yes. be calling her Debsy. Ah uh, yes, the <laughs> the the high high ranking monk of darkness, true heiress to the throne of failure, Debbie. Debbie. <laughs> I'd uh, be yes. able to remember it then. Deborah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Fuck that. Fuck Debbie and fuck Deborah. I also deeply apologize if Debbie or Deborah are listening right now. But anyway. Uh, Antonia, Antithea, depending how you want to pronounce Antinea? it. Oh my god. She comes upstairs and she sees everybody and she has a look to her like coming out of a dank basement and seeing light for the first time. But she comes up wearing like ceremonial white garb and everybody seems to begin to cheer as I mean, this is a spectacle nobody has seen in hundreds of years. And so for that, everybody's just, I don't want to say their minds are blown, but people are just greatly surprised. Thrail gives sort of a knowing look over at Anton before approaching the rest of the clerics and priests at this place and the monks and friars. Um, And with that, he approaches the main altar at the end of this entry hallway here. And he stands up at the top and he says, a good deal of light has been shed this day. And we stand now basking in the rays of radiance, true power from the illuminator himself. We all give great thanks to the gifts bestowed upon us. Children of the light, we thank the Illuminator. And everybody begins to kind of cheer again as Antonia has a strange look on her face of what could only be described as, well, I don't know, roll an inside check. Why don't you guys tell me what she looks like? Yeah. She pulls out her knife. (laughs) Oh no, Eighteen. Got him. Eight. 13. Norhill found a particularly interesting booger. <laughs> He's like, ooh. 13. All right. Uh, and what did Klika get? 13. 
Okay. So everybody except for Norhill can see that the face she has on right now is one of like, I would say nervousness, but Jarzak can tell a little bit more clear than you guys that this nervousness is a look of like fear and not just fear, but like mortal fear. Like she's terrified, but still standing here. Um, and so with that, as the priests begin to recite some hymns, I imagine Anton kind of joins in on this as well. And yeah. they begin to give recitations and sing some little choiry hymns. Uh, Jarzak, this gives you a mild headache, but nothing unmanageable. Um, I mean, if, if Klika knows the song, she'll sing too, if Anton taught her any of these hymns. Yeah, I would say so. You guys are just like, I'm walking on sunlight. <laughs> and it's time to heal wounds um but beyond that uh after the people begin to kind of flitter out and begin you know the rest of the processions here the high priest uh leaves his position and walks down to you guys and he seems to stumble a little bit using his walking stick, his little cane there, the fancy one. Um, uh, and as he approaches Anton and the gang, he looks to Anton pretty much exclusively and says, a miracle has been performed this day, Anton. We, we have seen much. And I have my faith restored in all that the Illuminator can provide us. But I'm afraid I don't think I could do something like this ever again. I have learned much and I appreciate you being so willing to take up my position here if the need arises. But fortunately for you, as he kind of looks down the line at all the various individuals you have with you, the cast of boys here and one girl, um, ah. he says, I think there's much work you need to do as well. When the time is right and there's peace in the world, I can teach you what I know, but until then, I think your place is on the road. Lightbringer. And he just gives a bow and he says, Oh, I <laughs> fireball! <laughs> no. I've learned all I need to know. That means this guy can cast fireball too. Yeah. In fact, a, a majority of people here. Could probably cast it too. This is a very dangerous location. And he says, uh, I agree with your guidance, High Priest. There is much work to be done, and not to dampen these great spirits, but we have been made aware of a threat. Hopefully, our awareness that has been made will assist us. The attack of the orcs is still to come. And so with that, he gives a couple of little solemn nods and he says, it is my first time outside of the sanctuary in the basement, but already I could sense darkness on the horizon. I appreciate you warning me and I will keep this in mind, but you should perhaps tell everything that you know to those in charge of the militaristic positions. And so with that, he gives a couple of nods and he says, but you must excuse me. I need to catch my rest. He says, of course. And so with that, he says, later, bros. And he goes back down the uh, stairs into the chambers below. He, he moonwalks out of there. Yeah. <laughs> In his Yeezys. Um, but anyway, he, uh, yeah, and he leaves, walks down there, leaving uh, our friend Antonea, Antithea, whatever you want to call her. And she stands there looking at you all. And she gives kind of a strange look as she says, 
I don't know much of what has happened, but she looks to Anton specifically. She says, something called me to protect you. And I did. She says, I didn't have much power to me, but when I shifted to that dark realm, I thought I would die there. But when I saw you underneath the aspect, I did what I could to send you back. You all didn't have to help me and I appreciate it. I heard somebody mention my brother's name and I felt a glimmer of light, something through the void of darkness. I felt my own thoughts return to me. And I appreciate all that you've done. And as everybody seems to feel the sense of like, you know, great gratefulness, like she's obviously very grateful for everything that's happened here. You see her, her look takes on a dour expression that wasn't there unless she was up at the podium. And she turns to you all and she says, but I tell you all, there is something far worse than the aspect. And I have seen it with my very eyes. And she says, there is war on the horizon and we are doomed. We are all doomed. And she looks around the room quick back and forth and she looks to all the clerics and everything. And she kind of tries to make sure nobody else can hear it. And she says, did you see the portal? Yeah. I did. And we had hoped that you would know something about it. And she says, I know much, but I will not speak of it here underneath the light. Um, well, the queen wanted to have an audience with you. She's the one who gave us the money we needed to bring you back. So if you'd be willing to travel with us to Eagle Heart, it would be really good. And so with that, she says, and she kind of like looks to you with almost a look of like puzzlement. Like she doesn't look, she, it's not that she's confused by this. So much as like she she looks to you as if like you don't understand the gravity here. She says, "Do you think this queen has any power at this point?" I I I, I need you to understand. What I have seen is beyond your greatest of nightmares. And she turns to Norhill in particular, and she says, "I have seen that which has destroyed your kin. I know the fate of the dwarves." And I know the doom of us all. That queen has no authority. She will not stand to the will of the Herald of Steel. She has no authority. She has no power. None of us do. And she turns to everybody again, kind of looking past every one of you. And she says, we will talk of this later. She says, I, I'm not familiar with this place and my mind is in much of a haze. Perhaps we can go to something of a, 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 a safe and quiet location. We have rooms at the local inn. And with that, she gives kind of a quick nod and she says, please hurry. And again, the look on her face is one of like frantic terror. Like she looks as if like there's something among the ranks of the clerics in the crowd here that's like coming to get her. Like she's like constantly looking back and forth as if it could be behind any person. Yeah, all right, let's let's uh, let's go. How about you stick close to us? And so with that, she just kind of gives another nod 
and she pulls up the hood on the white cloak she's wearing, gifted to her, and she kind of rushes out of the street before you guys. And so does the, does the party head immediately to the tavern? I will. Uh, where's the were tiger? Yeah, that is a pretty good question, huh? I imagine what happened is the were tiger assumed his elven form, and I imagine that storyline blibbity blibbity, you guys kind of dropped him off with the clerics and said that he needed to be held for the time being. Yeah, no, that, that's just what I was about to say. Okay, so uh, with that in mind, would you guys want to try to go talk with somebody about the were tiger, or would you guys like to go with this lady? I think we also have to go to the guards. About this. Uh, no, no, yeah, Norhill's going to branch off and try to deliver at least something of a report on like the way to the inn, I guess. Very good. The party. <laughs> Perfect. But I, I think that that makes sense. Why don't we say Anton will go and explain the plight of the were-tiger. We'll yeah. say that Jarzak and uh, Kalika, I guess, makes sense to go to the inn, and then Norhill will hurry over to the uh, head of the militia here and offer all of what he knows and all the notes. I mean, Klika is the only one who can speak Elven. Well, they, they speak uh, common, too. Oh, okay. But yeah. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to decide who Klika would be more invested in. Kind <laughs> of a person, <laughs> personal stake in both. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go to the end with Jarzak. Okay. And you're going to go with Antonea? Antithea? Yeah. How about Antonia Thea? Why don't we just do that? There you go. That's easier. That rolls right off the tongue. Now she has three names in the podcast. <laughs> but um, with that, Deborah. Debbie. <laughs> Otherwise known as Deborah. Deborah. <laughs> See, if you just say it slower, it sounds cool. No, it doesn't. You could do it like Tolkien style and just put a lot of emphasis on the second syllable and just be like Deborah. Done. I don't like do that. that. We're not. I'm not going in a completely <laughs> radical different direction giving her this next name. So anyway, Norhill drops off the notes and explains the story. Anton explains the fate of the were-tiger, and when the high priest is awoken, he will try to do the remove curse in the morning. Um, and then Jarzak and Kalika head over to the tavern. Anton's making a face, or at least Ronnie is. What's that about? Did I try to remove the curse? I suppose so. Yeah. I don't see why not. That might look kind of like silly okay. to be like, hey, I want you guys to tell about this. And like, I'm going to fix it, but y'all should know. <laughs> right. so we'll, we'll say that when you go down to explain the plight of the were tiger, there's a moment where they say that we'll have to wait for the high priest to remove the curse. And you feel this emboldened sense of like, I feel the light in me. I'm walking on sunshine. And you put your hand on the elf inside the uh, barred cage there in the basement which for some reason your church has, um, and you try to cast the removal of the curse. And as you use all the power of the light to expunge the darkness and the taint from this being, you feel some strange resistance and nothing seems to happen. Yes, as he's doing as like the glow of his hand fades, he says, and he looks toward the elf and he says, this is, it may be something we would have to go back to the Alvin Wood to resolve. Something to do with the master. This is beyond the, my knowledge. And so with that, he says, I am cursed. And he says it back plainly in the common tongue. He says, I am cursed 
or the curse of the wild. I said this before and I'll say it again. This is not something that can be undone with the powers of your God. This is greater than anything we've seen. You have to speak with the Shaysir. He says, if you free me from this prison, I can take you there. I will bring you as close to the city of Aesiris as I can, but I make no promises that I'll do anything beyond that. Uh oh, Anton gets to pick. Well, does he just tell us to me or does he tell us to all the clerics? No, no, they would give you your place down there alone. Oh, okay. Say, I would be fine with letting you free. You've done the situation that happened back in the woods that was uh, interesting to say the least. It's more of my party. We were asked by some strange individual for one of your kind. I'm not a fan of giving you to someone who wanted you for experiments and such. I'd rather go the route you suggested. But there may be some issues with the rest of my group. I will not lie about that. And he says, well, then I wish you the best of luck defying the city and the trees. He says, many have tried and many are killed by elves on the way. It's not the kind of place people just wander into. And if you feel that you can all find your way without me, by all means. The last time I checked, I don't think there's many elves that are going to come parading into your city looking to escort strangers to the capital of the elves. As I speak with them if you must. I've laid my offer. And I'll take your offer. Let me just communicate this to the rest of the team. and We'll see. I'm getting you out of here as soon as possible. So with that, uh, you head over to the tavern as well. And Jarzak and Klika head over to the tavern with Antonea. And as you guys enter the tavern, um, you can tell that the people here recognize you a bit, as well as a few rangers and stuff like that, people from the woods. And seeing you guys return and return in the way that you've returned, it seems like they already pick up kind of on the success of your quest. And people seem to be a little bit in higher spirits about the whole thing. Um, one thing that you notice, though, is as you guys enter the tavern and start to kind of like just find a seat somewhere to get comfortable as Antonia looks for like a, a beer or something like that to kind of calm her nerves, a pair of halflings uh, enter the tavern and people immediately look all kinds of confused and almost like alerted and alarmed by this. And they start walking around with a poster that's like a like a, a, a scrabble like a scribbled on piece of parchment that's got a very detailed etching on it of that strange looking man that you guys had seen in the same tavern not too long ago, and they come walking up to the to the line and look over at the bar and they walk up to the barkeep or at least climb up on one of the stools to talk to the barkeep and they say hey says one of the the one of the two of them the girl of the two she says can you put this up on the wall we're looking for somebody. And then with that, the barkeep says, I haven't seen halflings in this part of Amroth in quite some time. And she says, yeah, that's great. Thanks for the history lesson. And the guy, the guy halfling out of the two of them just kind of shifts the braids over from the top of his head. And he says, are we all through here? 
And with that, they kind of look over at Jarzak and Klika standing there and say, well, if they haven't seen halflings here in a long time, I don't imagine they've seen a goblin and an orc hanging out at that tavern either. And with that, the girl kind of looks to Klika, which I guess you guys would probably be at eye level when standing. And with that, she has deep brown hair. It's like a kind of chestnutty color with a little bit of lighter points in it. But they both have their hair pulled back in tight, tight braids. And they seem to be wearing earth tones. Both of them seem to be armed with blades as well as sling. And they both seem to be of like a rangery kind of look. And with that, she looks over at you for a minute and she kind of just like squints a couple times. And she says, have we met? Um, I'm Klika. So... Do you know Klika? And she says, no, I don't know Klika. My name's Margay, and this is my brother, Herakal. And with that, they kind of like give a look to each other and nod a couple of times, and they say, we're uh, not from here, if you couldn't catch that. I'm not from here either. And they both look up about five feet up <laughs> at <laughs> Jarzak's face, and they say, uh, with that, Caracol kind of chimes in for a second. He says, yeah, I think we kind of noticed that much of it. And with that, they kind of chuckle to each other with a little sing-songy pair of giggles back and forth. And with that, they look at each other again, sort of reassert their business of being here with a serious glare. And they turn back to you two and they look, uh, point at the poster that's being mounted on the wall. And they say, have you seen this man? Yeah, he's really weird. He said, yeah. you've seen him? Um, yeah, he, when we were in the tavern earlier, he popped up next to Klika and gave Klika quite the fright. Yeah, he offered us a job. And with that, the brother kind of pulls out a small piece of parchment and pulls out a a little tiny, like, uh, piece of, I would say, like, sharpened and rounded charcoal that almost makes like a writing implement. And he pulls it out and starts scribbling right away. And he says, you're gonna have to tell me everything he asked you to do. Oh, why is that? He says, well, he's in trouble for a lot of things, but we're also looking for him. And you are? Caracol of Quarrydale, and I've been hired to hunt him down. By? The leaders of Quarrydale. Hmm. And with that, he takes on a pose that I guess would be kind of like, you know, David and Goliath, where he just like puts his little hands on his hips at a, a, a whopping three and a half feet tall and looks up at you at what, six and a half, seven? Uh, yeah. So basically twice his height, he looks up at you in almost a challenging way and he says, unless you think I don't have the credentials to be looking for somebody like this. No, oh, just want to make sure you're not the bad ones before we give you some info. Margay, uh, at this point, standing next to Klika, says, well, I don't think he's not a bad one. And with that, Caracol looks over at Margay and gives like a kind of weird pensive pose. <laughs> and he lifts an eyebrow and he says, and you're one to talk. And so with that, they both kind of chuckle a couple times to each other. But then they both immediately like, like a flash of white look over at you and they're like, so anyway, what do you know? What was the job? What did right. they ask you to get? Hold on. Did you say they were siblings? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I, do. I want to make sure I didn't make that up. <laughs> I, I don't know, Klika, these guys, yeah, they seem like good people to me. Uh, we good to fill them in? Yeah, Klika, we could okay. we could talk about it. Yeah, that so guy was was really weird, and he got really close to Klika, and Klika didn't notice. 
scared me. Mm. It scared Klika, not so, me. I didn't say that. Yeah, Jarzak Jar- will let them know the details about what he wanted and stuff. And so with that, Margate does the talking while Caracol just takes down all the notes. And at this point, Norhill and Anton have entered the tavern and see you guys giving the last bit of the notes. And with that, Margay says, he's wanted for doing some really awful things where we're from. He's stolen much of the alchemy supplies from some of the more esteemed officials of the Alchemist Guild in Quarrydale. And he's, well, I guess if it makes any sense, he was a halfling. And you guys recall, he was much too tall to be a halfling. And he had the body dynamics that do not look like these guys. But they say he had been experimenting with alchemical supplies and components in ways that are not acceptable in the guild. And we've been hired to hunt him down before he can commit any atrocities using the training and techniques and secrets of, well, the people of Cordale. Yeah, definitely looked more like a fulling than a halfling. And with that, Caracol's like... <laughs> And Margay's like, oh, I get it. Um, what that. what's the name on the poster? The name on it? it? There's no name written on it. It's just a matter of his face, and they say um, wanted with so some mentions of his height and stuff. What's this man's name? And so with that they say he goes by many names out here, or at least we imagine he's probably going by a bunch of different aliases. He's probably known as I don't know the Shade, the Dark One, maybe the Hunter. The hungerer, the alchemist. And then Caracol joins in and he says, the smelly one, the one with teeth that look like corn, the gross guy. Yeah, now Klika gets it. Um, Well, we could we could try and trick him. Hmm. That's a good idea. With that, they say we'll have to kind of fade away and hide out for this sort of thing. But it sounds like something you could definitely help us out with. Yeah, because he expects us to bring back a were person. So we have two were peoples. If we make it look like we captured one of them and we're are looking for him, maybe he'll come out and then you guys can get him. That's a good idea. Are are you going to do the murder on him or are, are you just going to catch him? We're catching him. And we okay. have to have him in prison and punished for what he's done. That, and Caracol kind of taps on the notepad a couple times. He says, he may have found some things out that we don't know. We're going to have to interrogate him to see what he might have found out about. Which rings a little bit spooky to you guys to think that it's like, well, he may have been committing crimes against all of nature, but who knows if he found something cool. We'll torture him until he tells us what he found. But with that, they say, would it be best to meet here at night? Perhaps out back. Um, yeah, we our friend here is she's been through a rough time, so we're gonna um, we gotta talk with her a little bit and help her out, and then we'll help you out after. And with that, they say, ah, well, and Klika's side quests grow. We'll say <laughs> tonight, we'll say tonight when the moon's the highest, just hang out in the back alley behind the tavern, and we'll hope that he shows up. He's probably trying his best to find these chemical components, so I'm imagining he'll probably be doing anything he can. So I don't think any time would be too late. So that's okay. a good idea. They say, just bring him there. We'll take care of him. And with that, Caracol and Margay walk out of the tavern, giving everybody kind of a look as they leave. 
Bye. And so now with this, the party sort of circle around uh, a corner booth here with Anathea and Antonea. There you go. I'm just going to make up another name. Anathea. Antonea. <laughs> so with that, Antonea takes the corner in the, in the booth and she sits there by her mug of ale and she says, I remember the opening of the portal. I was one of the chosen who followed the the eye of failure. I followed the aspect into the darkened reaches of Boltzcrag Peak decades ago. Down there, we were to prepare the chamber. And I'll never forget the day that that portal opened up. For some reason, space and time ripped us under and strange shining metal ripped through and made that shape that was down there. And when I say what came through was something out of nightmarish visions, I say to you as a waking person who has died and come back, that thinking about it now makes me kind of wish I never came back. What came out of there could only be described as a mechanical beast, not unlike what the gnomes had created, but with the fluid motions of any type of person. It looked not unlike a half skeletal, half complete being that screeched when it walked. And it, it came through that portal, no taller than any other man, with horns in its head, some facsimile of a devil, but shining with perfect steel. And it came through to speak to the spider of darkness itself. And it just, when it spoke, it sounded like wind over, over a dozen katana blades. It cut through the wind and the sound of its mouth opening and closing was like the sheathing and unsheathing of blades. This being was just so commanding and powerful. I just, it spoke in a strange tongue that I don't fully understand, but from everything I heard, it was preparing a travel through the inner networks of the mountains to the dwarven hold, the halls of silver and steel. And this thing was referred to as the Herald of Steel. They spoke of having to awaken the minerals and the steel and the metals beneath the earth in hopes of destroying the dwarves to make some kind of strange army. They spoke of some second war, a war of vengeance. All I know for certain is that those dwarves, if there are any that are left, are in grave danger for their lives. And if they are living, it is not by their own choice. That thing spoke of such terrifying acts and such evil that I can't begin to explain the nightmarish visions that are in my head now, now that I've retained my consciousness and come back as a moral thinking being. I just can't explain to you how, how strangely comfortable it made me to hear it talk. It spoke of great chaos and pain and plagues of war throughout all of Amroth and the surrounding areas. When I say that there's a second war, I don't speak of Gorgorethian orcs and the people of Amaroth. I speak of everyone. Everyone against 
the Herald of Steel. But all I can say is whoever this is and whatever it is that I saw, it has already gone far from this place. It broke a fragment off of that portal and it took it with it. It pulled it out like like a, a brick, just out of a pile of bricks. It slid out so smooth like hot butter. But that metal was impossibly hardened. How it could have done such a thing is beyond me. But steel seemed to bend to its will as if with some sort of pyromancer with fire or a cryomancer with ice. It managed to pull steel and move iron, pull rocks. It didn't travel through doorways. It traveled through the stone itself. And through stone that it couldn't travel through, it pulled the metal out of it to leave portals for itself. This creature had some strength over the earth itself. I don't know how it could have such strength to be able to do such things, but it beckons to the earth and pulls the metal from within it. Earthquakes and fissures, the commanding of metal to rust, heat. I've seen many things in that place. I was a servant to the aspect and the aspect was a servant to the Herald of Steel. And with that, she kind of looks down at her tankard of ale and takes a heavy gulp as if she hasn't drank a liquid in nearly a week's time. Who wants to go first? Because <laughs> I'm sure Norhill has some stuff, but Klico wants to say some stuff too. Are you willing to repeat your testimony? To whom? The queen. She says... I suppose so. I'm indebted to you with everything I have. Whatever you need me to do, I suppose I can do it. And mind you, with every passing hour with this woman, it's like all of her age and all of her elderliness like, is just slowly sinking back into her. And you can tell that like, the weight of her age and her bones is just slowly like pulling in. You know what I mean? But she says um. I'm more than willing to. When we were down there fighting off the aspect, a piece of metal that we had gotten from a giant um, who was collecting a lot of metal and scrap and stuff, it flew back into the portal. Well, I suppose that makes some deal of sense. That's where it came from. If this is a piece of metal that belongs there, but um, I don't know much of these things, and I don't know that many here would know of these sorts of portals. I heard mention of, and she kind of like has a moment where her like, she she looks confused, but in a way that like makes her skull start to hurt, and she says something about immortals. She says, but tales of this land are are not something that people typically talk about. This is something of the legends of, of the elves, the old ones, the people of the immortal lands, beyond the and stars. You said that when the herald spoke, it was comforting. Um, when Klika was down there with the portal, she was planting some ivy that your brother gave her, and she felt a 
presence from the portal and it seemed to activate and it felt welcoming it didn't feel well it didn't feel like it was hostile or wanted to hurt Klika. and she says i don't know much about the portal itself nor do i know much beyond that about the immortals and that's again something elves know of it's something they speak of sort of lamenting for all that they've lost. But I, all I can say is if we were to learn anything about that portal and what it means and what it means when they say that that portal is to be opened again at some point for far worse beings, the elves may be the only ones we can, we can learn something from. We do I, have an elf. We do have a key. But this is, these portals are the teachings of the old ways. This is, you know, and she kind of talks to you guys as if like talking about like some far Norse mythology. You know what I mean? Like we all know the mm. basics of it, but nobody knows like, you know what I mean? Like the hard true stories here as if finding like truth and merit in it. So with that she says, perhaps he can take you to Elvish lands. From what I recall of the Falvir wood, it's not the kind of place people just walk into. And so all I can say is, I fear whatever else is beyond in that portal. And I think if we were to understand how it works and how to fix it, I think you may need to speak with the elves. She said, Um, but that portal did not function after he left. When he pulled that piece of metal out, the portal closed. It would hum every once in a while and things would cause it to stir. But when it functioned, it was like looking into the great cosmos as if, stepping through into the night sky well i'm really glad that you're okay and once you come back with us to eagle heart and talk to the queen um we're gonna make sure that you get back to your brother and Klika's gonna sort of stare at the locket that she put around her neck um and he's waiting for you He's he's doing okay. She says, and I think he'll be really happy to see you. She says, if I might ask one favor, can we please go to him first? If I'm to go to the queen, I would rather go with him. For as much as you saved me, all of you, it was thinking of him and my parents that really pulled me back to myself. I don't know... That I have. Hill. <laughs> she says, if you would let me have my travel with him, where is he? Uh, there's, there's a lot of other people kind of relying on your brother right now. And I'm not sure he's in a position where he can leave. And so with that, she says, why are they relying on him? What is his, what, what did he do? He has made it his life's work to help folks like you and he. What do you mean? To find their way out of the dark. And so with that, she has a moment where she's like a mix between being over ecstatic and like a tear rolls down her cheek as she's like so moved by this concept. But she kind of like pulls herself out of it and she says, but the shadow over Amaroth is gone. The, the aspect of failure is dead. The shadow we hold in this realm is gone. Perhaps, 
perhaps also the curses has been lifted off of them. I understand the reason why he needs to stay where he is, but I need to see him. It is her core walk. And if it's family that you are concerned about, Mitch, you will understand why I need to insist that you visit the queen first. Of course. But I would have him as my escort to lead me there. Well, he's... Where is he? In the Thalvir woods currently. On the outskirts. So he must not be far. He's he's probably only about two or three days away. Is he closer than the queen? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. But it's, it's like a triangle where we're going in a different direction for him, and then we'd travel a more direct route to the queen after, correct? Yeah. There would okay. be the road. Yeah, but, it's not on the way. I got you. But with that, she says, but if I am to go see this queen and tell her everything I know, perhaps your place is not to come alongside me. And perhaps you must do the work of the greater good. When I tell you that this queen has no authority over this being, I mean that telling her of this portal is fine. I will give her all the information I can, but I think you need to make up for lost time we have and understand what this portal is, what it can do, and what needs to be done. But Clico wanted to get knighted. (laughs) Panton rolls his eyes. What is one more compromise? How about this? Uh, we'll pass by your brother's compound on our way deeper into the Elven Wood. We will tell him that you're alive, and perhaps he'll be able to leave his place, and you both can leave from here for the Queen together. Is the carriage that we took in still in town? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, you guys, you two can take our carriage back to the queen so they know that it was us who sent you. And then we can keep going into the woods. Yeah, that's such a hot middle finger to the queen. (laughs) Just send her back by herself and be like, yeah, she's alive, whatever. Fucking ask her whatever you want. I don't give a shit. Um, Would it be wiser for us to just take her into the Felvier woods with us? With her brother, that might be a bit more convincing than us telling him. Well, well, yeah, she's that... gonna travel with us to her brother's place. Oh god, carriage, yeah, and then they'll take the carriage back, and we'll continue on foot. <laughs> um, but make sure if the queen gets um testy with you, let her remind her that she made a promise to Klika. And so with that, she she kind of looks at you guys and she says. I stare deep into the eight eyes, the eight true eyes of the aspect of failure, and I've been to the shadowy plane. I don't think some queen of this land has any ability to scare me. And but her hair me, is really big. <laughs> how big are we talking? <laughs> like Marge Simpson or like... It's like, it's really nice. Jarzak mumbles into his beer and finishes it. <laughs> it's real nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And so with that, you guys all manage to have your rooms for the evening and offer her a room as well. Um, 
And did you guys want to try to do that back alley thing now? Yeah. Um, before that, can we take, I guess, Jarzak to, um, oh God, where is his name? The, the elf. Oh, the were tiger. Sarathal. Sarathal. Um, and let him know that we need to convince this <laughs> former halfling that we captured one of the creatures. So if he can play the part for us or, I don't know, have one of them come out this way or bring about a change in Jarzak that makes it look like he's one of the creatures but isn't going to totally ruin Jarzak... So Sirothal agrees to it after hearing that this guy wanted to like take one of his kin and do whatever he was going to do to it. After hearing that this guy's wanted for like inhumane crimes and stuff like that, with that the elf has like a weird moment of like, again, they were bugbears that he was living with, but that might as well have been like his freaking sister or child. So Korbach. Yeah. And so with that, he kind of lifts his eyebrow a little bit and he says, I will be the tiger you need me to be. He says, bring the shackles. Um, have you ever worn a wire before? Click <laughs> putting it on. He's just like, I can't breathe. Too tight, too tight. Because <laughs> I've never put a wire on. But um, okay. And so that the party march the elf up there looking all kinds of natural and not conspicuous or anything like that. Is everybody taking part in this little menagerie or? Yeah. Yeah. It'd probably be dangerous not to. The reluctance. Now okay. who's holding the chains? I imagine it's Jarzak. Yep. <laughs> and I'm sure the tiger is very appreciative of this. Jarzak just feels his jaw slowly extending and unextending over and over again. Just like... <laughs> Jarzak tugs it once just to make a point because you know he's an orc and he feels like he can and so with that um you guys march the tiger into the back alley and it's it's pretty snug it's like a four-way intersection of uh squat buildings that are all stacked onto each other with boxes and refuse back here making it a hard squeeze in between but coming to a darker section out here and waiting for about 10 minutes or so um can i get a perception check from the party now, if we all fail this, is he going <laughs> to pop up in between all of us? <laughs> uh, probably, because Norhill got a four. Seventeen. <laughs> ah, I got a two. What did Jarzak get? Seventeen. Oh. Dang it. <laughs> I got twelve. All right, so Jarzak is the only one who can hear it. I think this happened last time, too. You hear a couple of individuals walking around on top of the roof of the inn about... 20 feet above you guys into you guys' like left. So they're up there walking around. Now, using your better judgment, this is probably Caracol and Marge. And so you're just kind of like understanding that's likely the case. Um, did you want to like do any sort of recognition of this or did you want to just kind of leave it be? Charizard's uh, just gonna say just loud enough so they can hear. Oh, hope no one's up on the roof being loud up there. And you guys hear back the sound of like uh, like a morning dove call, but a very light and tender one that kind of wavers a little bit. And with that... Um, <laughs> Jarzak just gives a thumbs up to the group. 
After about 10 or so minutes, you guys hear the sound of some shuffling of feet down the alley behind you, and everybody shifts position to ready this, and you see a dark cloaked figure come walking up, and he approaches the group and he says, ah, you found one. And you guys can see that the uh, elf had taken his form as the half tiger, half man sort of appearance. And he says, oh, and you found a very powerful individual indeed. This will be good. He says, we couldn't get you one of the piggies, but I hope this will do. He says, oh, it will do just fine. In fact, you, you can keep it for whatever you need it for. I just need some blood. And so with that, he opens up his little leather jacket, uh, a little side pouch there, and starts pulling around at some glass baubles and needles and stuff like that. Like is going to walk over and put her hand on like his arm, saying, um, Kleeka thinks we should get our payment before you get that. And so that he says, ah, yes. How much did I offer you? 50 gold pieces for such a thing? I think you said something about becoming as strong as an ogre or a giant. Ah, right. Yes. Well, you see, there's a bit of a processing time on this, and I wouldn't be able to pay you now, not for not for a bit. But if you stay in town for a good week, I would have you a potion that would make you strong as an ogre. In the case of the tiger, perhaps strong as a tiger. And as he's kind of doing this thing with his hands, and he's kind of like trying to bullshit you guys with this, you hear the sound of the little morning dove call again. And you hear the little tiny voice of Margay call out and says, close your eyes. And for just one split second, everybody has an opportunity to do that as a blinding white flash goes off in this alleyway. And all of a sudden you can see everything and it's completely out with a flashbang. And you guys hear the sound of- When what- the flashbang goes off, Click is going to try and grab his other hand to make sure he doesn't run. Oh, please don't. As- it almost perfectly in tandem, you hear a hot popping splat noise, like a massive pie being thrown at somebody. And you hear the sound of that, like, <laughs> all of a sudden be like, <laughs> as he gets back <laughs> to the ground with a wet <laughs> noise. And as everybody's eyes from that blindingness kind of come back, uh, you guys look to the ground and see what could only be described as a giant pile of like, brown colored jelly that's wrapping that guy to the ground and it's like stuck him to the ground like a pile of goo and already it's begun to harden and with that a small little tethered rope comes dangling down from the rooftop and a couple of halflings go skittering down like little firemen on a pole and on the ground again three and a half feet tall each both Caracol and Margay look at uh, the guy on the ground wriggling around and they say he was gonna pay you with what? It was going to be like a potion that makes you strong. And then with that, Margay says, you know he was going to skip town, right? Oh, well, we do now. And with that, you guys showed up. On the ground, uh, the guy reeling around still, he says, no, wait, I can, I can offer more. I promise you, I can do much more. And with that, Caracol walks over, pulls out another little like sack out of his pocket, and he kind of pops it in his hand like he smushes it like those little fart pouches you used to have as a kid and he shakes it around a couple times and he just whacks it at him and another packet of goo pops open on his head and he just gets coated in it and Caracol walks over and like puts his little fingers over the eyes and the mouth and like makes little eye holes and mouth hole and he basically looks like just a giant goop monster with little mouth and eye holes right and with that, he's... This is uh, the worst snowman anyone's ever made. And then with that... Kalika weeps. <laughs> he's like, 
Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of funny. You want to write something funny on him? Oh, yeah. Clinko <laughs> wipes up her tears and just very naturally walks over to Anton, plucks the ring off his finger. No, no, starts... no. That Caracol's like, no, no, no. He's still soft right now. He's going to harden very quickly. So write something quick. Uh, it's like wet concrete. Klika just draws, um, what is it? The stupid gaucho marks like thing on his face, the dumb mustache <laughs> and the glasses and stuff. <laughs> and with that, by the time you stand up and look at your work and kind of clap your hands off and pick off the dried bits of that clay stuff, you look behind you and you can see Margay wrote in big letters, I'm dumb on his chest. And with that, Margay looks up at you and says, what? And Caracol says, you know, you never really were that clever. And Margay says, Clico wishes she thought of that. <laughs> like, don't worry, there'll be more. Now, listen, we're going to go get some money for this bounty. If you ever need to pick up on this money, we're good to our word. And with that, she holds out her tiny little halfling hand and Caracol does as well. And they both go for a couple little mini handshakes and they say, you have our word. Our word is honor. If now, think- both the halflings and the gnomes got the uh, bad rep, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Clique is going to say, um, we found out some stuff about the halflings and the gnomes, and you guys got the short end of a stick that shouldn't have ever been thrown. Clique is kind of losing the metaphor here. Anyway, Klika knows that the halflings and gnomes are good peoples, and she's sorry. So Klika doesn't need any of the money. And with that, she, both Marga and Caracol have a couple of looks of puzzlement, and they say, uh, all right, well, at first I thought you were making a joke about the short end of the stick and us all being short, but coming from you... Dang it! <laughs> with that, they look to Jarzak, Norhill, and Anton, they say, well, if you guys want a good split of the loot, by all means, come on down to Enton. If you can get in and you can find us there in the city, by all means, the money will be waiting. So is Quarrydale the country? Quarrydale is kind of the regional title for it. And it's Enton's the city? Yeah, Enton. Um, with that, Halfling city? It is little folks. But with that, they say, uh, as Margate kind of turns to Caracol and says, go get the hounds. I'll try to scrape this one up. And she pulls out her dagger and starts kind of like digging at the side of it and she's like it has to resist the urge to cast mending every time she cuts it <laughs> just keeps sticking them to the ground again yeah. that, they say ah i mean you guys are free to go and the were tiger to the two of you and with that the uh, were tiger turns to you guys and says i don't like being outside of the thalvir wood very much and that's where we're gonna end it Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognar here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.